Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast every uh, week coming to you here from the uh, newsroom at 9 a.m. On, on Thursday. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and uh, it's your lucky day because we have our intrepid uh, reporter Ethan Ganter on today. Um, and Ethan covers the towns of Provincetown, Orleans, Brewster, as well as a bit of the islands, or was it the legless centipede beat or millipede? Headless, headless, Head, headless, millipede. headless millipede. Sorry about that. Um, beetles, uh, whatever, whatever we throw at you, really. Uh, this week he was uh, on top of our big story of the week, um, which was a national story, that, but it had some Cape connections. That's the nationwide uh, college admissions uh, scandal, which we'll talk about. Um, you also wrote this week, Ethan, about some brewery news in Provincetown that I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in hearing about. Um, we'll also talk about another big story from this week, the death of two people in a Wellfleet house fire and some of the challenges uh, facing firefighters as they uh, deal with this one particular part of town. Um, and then we'll chat about our, our Sunshine Week reporting, uh, which has to do with open meeting law and public records access. And it's kind of an annual uh, week of reporting that a lot of newspapers uh, tackle. Uh, and then we'll look ahead uh, a bit at a special profile coming up about an 83-year-old uh, Marine uh, here on the Cape. You can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website or checking out um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you had any problems with Instagram or Facebook, you could go directly to the website and, and uh, go bypass the social media there, um, keepcuttimes.com. Just use Twitter. Just, or, or Twitter was working yesterday, as uh, a lot of people noticed. Um, uh, but uh, the, you had a story in this week, Ethan, about uh, some news on for a couple different businesses in Provincetown that are both uh, seeking to open breweries. What, what happened with that? Yeah, so... Um if you know anything about development on Cape Cod, a lot of it all revolves around having enough uh, wastewater capacity. Um, every yes. all roads lead through wastewater. The uh, previous <laughs> town you covered, Bourne, had the same issues in terms yep. of having to have enough wastewater to get your business started. Yeah. So right. Uh, so on Monday, the sixteen twenty Brew House, um, which is a current existing restaurant in Provincetown, and the Provincetown Brewing Company, they both are planning to open breweries up in Provincetown. They were both uh, granted the sewer wastewater gallonage. Uh, you get a certain amount of gallons per day um, to operate your business, and they got uh, approved for that this week. So that's kind of a, a really critical step to doing any kind of business is making sure you have that water. And 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 is that based on? And I don't know if you know, but is that based on the amount of people you want to seat in the place? Or yeah, a lot of a lot of it's based on the amount of seats you have in a restaurant, and uh, especially in a place like Provincetown you have to have enough to handle the greatest capacity you could have. Um, as they were talking, Provincetown really climbs the limit in the summer. If you, if anyone wants to open a business that uses a lot of wastewater, uh, Provincetown in the winter is a great time. You, yeah. got, you got nine months of the year to... Uh, because again, the capacity is there. It has to be built as with most things here on the Cape for the summer population. Uh, but then the winter, obviously, it becomes a, a, a lot easier to get to the bar and get your beer because there are much fewer people here, but the, exactly. the capacity is not filled out as much. And and again, that capacity is important because if you want to have a certain amount of people in your place, it's also monitored mostly based on water use, even though it's considered wastewater capacity. Yeah. And there's even some talk in different towns about, and it's happened, where they kind of put on some separate meters. I think they're talking about separate meters in, in or separate monitors monitoring in some cases for what goes towards the brewing process. Yep. In yeah, that was one of the um, 
one of the recommendations that was adopted in in what in there was a permit. Yeah. Actually, what they were granted this uh, on Monday. So, yeah, I mean, it, the restaurants actually use most of this water. It's not the actual brewing process. Yeah. yeah. Um, although brewing beer does take a lot of water sure. um, to get you a single pint there, but um, yeah, a majority, I think. It was thousands of gallons are being used for this, and then equivalent of a two-bedroom condo was being used for the actual brewery. For the part. brewing, but the town wanted to know the kind of difference. Yeah, they wanted to see the like, difference because it is a brand new thing. Yeah, yeah. and and again, sixteen twenty brewery was one of them, uh, and then there's another brewery. Yeah, the Provincetown Brewing Provincetown Brewing Company, and they're a little different, you know, in terms of uh, their. Uh, business model, if you will. The, the Provincetown Brewing Company has a very uh, large degree of, of kind of philanthropy involved. In yeah, their idea is it's very um, progressively based, liberal mm -hmm. um, ideals. In, in Provincetown, their, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they are, they're planning to do, donate, I think it's around 15% to charities for every beer sold. Mm -hmm. um, they want to host meetings there. It's it's planned to be over on 141 Bradford, which is right on the corner of Bradford and Standish, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and then the 1620 Brew House, which is an existing restaurant right now and is in the same building as the Art House, a the theater. Exactly. They're planning to kind of reshape the whole space, expand the restaurant, add a brewery, and make one large performing arts center, which is... Um, Pretty exciting, and that was one of the not to get too far into the weeds that you've already reported on, uh, but but just briefly, that was one of the uh, issues when they first kind of made their initial proposal. Uh, they were essentially saying out with the arts uh, or the theater that had been existing there for a long time, but that changed. Yeah, yeah. So they're all owned by the same same. It's Bender Ryder owns it in his company. Um, who's a Suckman and Brewster. Unrelated, but yeah, another one of your towns yeah. that you cover. So uh, they own the whole building. Everything's in there. So the plan was expand the restaurant, put in a brewery. It's going to take up everything. A lot of pushback from the town's people about uh, the loss of a, a prize theater in mm -hmm. the community. Um, so they're and they, and so then they adjusted, and we have the rendering, which is pretty uh, impressive. You know how they've then said, "Okay, we understand you want to keep the theater. We're going to actually make it pretty a pretty substantial part of our plan here." Yeah. And so they're knocking down a wall and bringing these two stages together and making a large stage. And then you, it looks like you'll be able to be in the brewery and then walk out onto even a, a, a overlook area, balcony. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to that. So a couple different options for beer lovers out in Provincetown coming down uh, the pike. This was an important step getting this, these permits for this uh, wastewater uh, allotment. Um, uh, you know, it's certainly a big story this week and, and a sad one in, in Wellfleet uh, on Lieutenant Island, which anybody who knows the area knows there's a lot of kind of nooks and crannies in terms of Wellfleet uh, Harbor and, and, and that area. It's islands, there's Great Island, there's Lieutenant Island. Um, yeah, and, and is, there's a, is it Town Neck or there's, a, there's another neck out there. There's a lot of, yeah, exactly. A lot of different ins and outs. Um, which can make it difficult. So this fire uh, was reported just after midnight on Monday, um, and um, the fire department responded. I remember in the beginning of the day, we we had a, a reporter who went out there and, and eventually sent a photographer and another reporter out there. But when we first got there, I think uh, the firefighters 
were under the impression that the home was unoccupied. Um, and, and, you know, certainly not something that's fun for a family to have their house burned down, but at least it seemed that nobody was inside of it. As the day progressed, it became uh, apparent that there might have been somebody inside the building, inside the house. And then, you know, the fire department and the uh, Cape and Islands District Attorney's Office eventually confirmed that two people had died inside. Um, so, so obviously, uh, you know, sad they have not confirmed uh, the, the names of the two people who had uh, died inside the house, but it's an ongoing investigation as to how the fire started. Uh, Marion Bragg, however, uh, followed up with the uh, fire chief there in Wellfleet. Um, and, and spoke to him about kind of the challenges of getting out there. Uh, Chief Richard Pauley said that they heard about uh, a, a fire of some sort on Route 6, and, and he actually was among the couple of people who responded from the fire department, and they got out there and they couldn't find a fire. Um, but then they heard about a brush fire out on Lieutenant Island, and that's when they kind of started to realize, you know, something really was going on. And they, they you know, uh, called in other uh, resources. But just to get to Lieutenant Island uh, is difficult. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been there a bunch of times. Um, I mean, it's possibly one of the most isolated places on Cape, I would think. Um, I mean, the only way on is a little wooden bridge. Yeah. Um, all the roads are like basically driveways. I mean, yeah. it's really out there. Um, no, there's no fire hydrants out there, which is again, one of the issues uh, in fighting this fire. Yeah. And, and, and the way they deal with it is they have some, some tanks that are actually out there and, and filled with water. Um, uh, it's it, uh, again, this area uh, where they have these under uh, their underground tanks with about 15,000 gallons that are spread around the Island uh, to, you know, that, and they use those, and we've seen this before, to fill kind of these above-ground structures when a fire is ongoing. They are kind of like swimming pools, temporary swimming pools. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen them used in East Ham, too, because East Ham, I don't know if they still don't, but at a time they didn't have municipal water. Yeah, so. but I think they, they're getting it or they're in the process or they have it in, in some places now, but yeah. And then other towns as well. Uh, I know it's been used, I think, in some areas of uh, Barnsborough Sandwich. There was a fire not too long ago where they had to bring this in because of the isolation of, of the uh, location. It's, uh, and it's just an added step that slows everything down. And you have to really, I mean, I, I don't think they think about water usage, but when you only have a limited supply right there, it's got to make everything that much more tough. Yeah, I'm sure they're fight. determining what they can do and, and instead of having an open hydrant, you know, and they did have a, a hydrant back on Route 6 that they could connect to, but instead of just being able to spray as much water as you want, you got to know that there's a there's a limit and you have to refill. Um, and, and that's part of it. And then, as you said, that there's that small wooden bridge and some of the photos showed these fire trucks going over this wooden bridge. The roads, Paul, say out there said out there are actually more like driveways in terms of their width. Uh, so just getting around. And then the signs are not exactly clear as ter in terms of what's where. Um, there's only about eight, he said he estimates about eight or nine people or families who live out there full time during the year. As you mentioned earlier in Provincetown, it's a place that uh, fills up more during the summer. Um, but it's been a, been a while since they've actually had a, uh, uh, a fatal fire. Um, Back in the 90s, I yeah, think. It, 29 years ago, exactly. So, so this was a big deal. But then it was, it was just in 2016 that they responded to Lieutenant Island, and there was a fire in, in a house that destroyed the home and killed three dogs there. Um, and even when they responded to this, one of the engines, Polly said, got stuck as it rolled onto the sand. These are big trucks, and you can imagine uh, if you get into any sort of soft sand out there, it could become a problem. So a lot of challenges that they, they face when they respond to this sort of stuff. I mean, just the, the time 
of response based on not knowing exactly where the fire was, I think is, is the most part of this was 25 minutes, which for a fire department, and, and I'm sure he'd again point out that they were trying to determine. When you're searching for a yeah, fire. exactly. You don't know where it is. Um, these fire departments try and respond within four, five, six minutes. There's some standards that they have that they're trying to meet. Um, but as, as we said, it ended up being a, a sad uh, event, obviously, when they did eventually find the, the, the bodies within the house. And that, when we saw the photos of it at first, it was leveled. It was gone. So yeah. you can imagine even searching uh, the debris afterwards uh, must have been difficult. Uh, you, you had to kind of wait until it was safe for your guys to get in there and start looking around. But um, we'll follow up with more information on kind of uh, the cause when it's determined and uh, the identities of the folks who were in there, unfortunately. Um, this uh, uh, week, um, we uh, covered Sunshine Week. It's an annual nationwide event. Newspapers and news organizations across the country take part in it, where they look at public records access and, and open meeting law uh, specifically. Um, the week started off, and I'll just kind of do a run through. Every every day is online, and you can you can take a look at it. But started off with a story on Sunday about uh, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and and uh, Native American tribes in general, and how their uh, public records access for those tribes is very different uh, from in some cases uh, from. Um, other governments because that's what they are considered when they're recognized by the U.S. government as a sovereign nation. Um, and so they're not necessarily beholden. You or I couldn't go to the tribe and make a public records request in the Mashpee tribe's case. There are other tribes ha that have some uh, laws in place. Um, so that that was Monday or that was Sunday. Um, we then uh, took a look uh, on Monday at a story uh, that you did, and I'll actually go to that right now, which was uh, about clerk magistrates hearings uh, in in particular tied to this one case. And what was that about, uh, just briefly? Yeah. So um, last last March, a state trooper was having lunch at a restaurant in Dennis. A retired state trooper. Yeah, was, retired yeah. state yeah. trooper. Um, and he was having lunch at a restaurant in Dennis. He was talking about guns and he had just gotten a new gun and uh, he took it out he took the chamber round out took the magazine out to make it safe and he was in a with a group of friends basically at a booth is what it what it was it wasn't he was yeah. doing a demonstration yeah, yeah, yeah he was talking to all the friends and then he so they all kind of took a look at the gun they gave it back to him underneath the table mm -hmm. he was reassembling it and then it went off uh, discharged into the booth um, and so we kind of followed how everything kind of happened after that because that it typically uh, uh, discharging a firearm within 500 feet of a building within a building essentially is is a crime. Yeah, against state law. Um, so we we took a look at what happened. Um, the case uh, we were able to get the police report on the case. The retired trooper's name uh, was redacted from the report under uh, one of the uh, clauses in public records law. We are appealing said record, but. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically it went to a thing that's called a clerk magistrate hearing and those are private hearings, um, to determine if there was probable cause in a case. Mm -hmm. Um, so a clerk magistrate, uh, which is kind of the person who kind of runs the clerk's office, I believe. Right. Yep. And they have some, again, duties in terms of, uh, uh, when cases go through that they, they make certain decisions as in this case, it's not in front of a judge necessarily, yep. but the clerk magistrate acts as an arbiter of whether the case is going to go forward. Yeah. So if, if they decide to take the case forward and it goes to a public arraignment, which is like every other kind of normal 
case that the public kind of sees. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't end up going to a public arraignment, there's no record of what happened in that hearing. So it's yeah. it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario yeah, when yeah. you're trying to figure things out. Um, and 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 a potential black hole or gap in the public's uh, access to information in terms of uh, whether or not justice was carried out. And that's that's why we were interested in why we've been interested in from the from the beginning. Nobody was injured here. It, it's nothing like that. But you have a retired state trooper, somebody who you know again could be perceived by the public as somebody who might get some preferential treatment. And we're not saying that happened here, but we don't know because, uh, again, his name's not released uh, by the police. They, again, are relying on a couple of exemptions in, in not doing that. And again, we're appealing that, you're appealing that. But but then it goes to this clerk magistrate's hearing where unless he's he's it's decided that he should face arraignment, you don't know what the process was there. Yeah, it's, it's not that we think we're not sure if something illegal happened. That's for the judicial system to figure out. It's just that we can't see what the judicial system exactly. is deciding, um, which is always kind of worrisome. A black box, if can, you will. Can lead to thoughts about yeah, improper. There, there could be abuse, and there's been some reporting in, in other publications, the Boston Globe, most notably uh, on these clerk magistrates hearing. And there's uh, uh, some movement afoot within the legislature to potentially say, we're going to for the most part, make these now open just like any other. Yeah, there's a bill in both the House and the Senate to do um, to make these public as a norm yeah. instead of private, and then have if you can find a, a strong uh, exception, yeah. you can be heard on that. It sounds again. It sounds like you. Ju it's just it'll make it harder to say I want a clerk magistrate's hearing. It won't be kind of an automatic thing to like. Oh, you want it? You get it. It'll be. Wait a second. Why? Why does this case deserve this? Yeah. Um, and again, they're there for a particular reason because they think that if there's not enough evidence to proceed, they don't want somebody who you know it was an, a complete accident or it wasn't actually the case uh, to have this on their record. It was the idea. But you could see somebody who knows the system, who knows that click magistrates hearings exist and can be used, who uh, you know has a has a good attorney and can go into one of these and say, I don't even want my name out there. I don't want anybody to know this even happened to me. And, and yeah, I mean, proponents say this is a chance to give some discretion in the legal system. Yeah. So if say you're a minor and you you had a couple, uh, you had alcohol, you're in possession, you kind of give them a little slap on the wrist instead yeah. of putting him to a public trial and yep. yada, yada, yada. And you spoke to the clerk magistrate in New Orleans who said, listen, we're doing what the law requires of us here and, and what the law says. It's also not something that's used repeatedly. So it's that instance with the minor who's been in possession of alcohol. It's not like every time if you if you were a minor, the same person, and you got caught repeatedly in possession of alcohol that you could keep going back to this well, if you will. Well, and then, well, the other thing is we would never know. We so. might never know. Exactly. <laughs> so you'd hope not. Okay. Um, so uh, so that was a story. And then um, we had a, a story uh, by Marion Bragg about record a records access officers. This is part of the uh, reform in the uh, public records law. And then today there was a story um, uh, about uh, basically the movement of teachers through school systems and and how it's determined that this person doesn't have a background that would raise concerns about uh, uh, basically inappropriate sexual behavior with students. And there's been a couple of um, instances uh, where that's come up in different school systems around the Cape. Uh, you know, some notable instances that were even in court this, or a notable instance that was even in court this week uh, with a teacher who's accused out of Brewster uh, with uh, basically sexual abuse of, of younger students. So 
that story's in today's paper. I, I suggest everybody take a look at that and take a look at Ethan's reporting on the clerk magistrates and all the other Sunshine Week reporting that's been going on this week. Uh, moving on here to the big story of the week, uh, um, you know, ranks up there nationwide as a big story for the week. I mean, there's a lot of national news going on, but this was a big deal when it happened. And part of that reason was because it involved a couple high-profile actresses, um, but it also involved some people from the Cape. What was this story about, Ethan? You, you did some local reporting on it. Yeah, I mean, there was so many. This was such a massive story about a school admissions a scandal where, I mean, uh, there was kind of this one central man. His name is Rick Singer. Mm -hmm. Um, was kind of running this operation where you could basically pay for your kid's way into a school uh, through various methods. One uh, with local connections was you could pay, you paid Singer, Singer would find a coach, coach could, a coach at a NCAA school would be able to get your kid, whether they played the sport or not, into one of their recruiting spots. Mm -hmm. um, there was water polo instance, there was some tennis instances um, with Cape Connections. And you basically could buy your kids way on, onto, onto a team where they didn't play and just so they could get into a school. They called them side doors. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't have to go through kind of the regular mission. Just process. to be clear, different from you're just paying your tuition to a college or, you know, even to a certain extent, although there's probably a lot of cases of this where you're donating to the school and, and your kid gets in. This is a very kind of specific process to pay to uh, have your child on a team where they're not even going to play. Uh, they don't show up to practice. They don't, they don't, they're not in the water polo team. They don't play water polo, yeah. but, they're, but they're they're And they even, there was instances of uh, them having photos that were doctored to show somebody doing a sport that they wouldn't. Yeah. They would falsify them. records in the one case. Um, they would say the swimmer swam. He, his times for the 50 yard swim was the, fastest on the team two yeah. seconds better than anyone on the existing team when the kid uh, was not a water polo player. it would be as if you were saying that about me for instance yeah. where that's definitely not the case um and so so the there were there were some folks here on the again the actresses everybody knows felicity uh huffman and and uh laurie laughlin uh that are are caught up in this and and i don't think that they've pleaded guilty uh, but there are others who have singer himself and and uh, one of the folks with the Cape Cod connection, you know, already pleaded guilty. It was pretty interesting because this wasn't on the radar of any uh, it, that I know of any major media outlets. And then all of a sudden it came out and these guys are pleading guilty the next day. So you know that there was some some back and forth, maybe some some uh, plea agreements that were made. Uh, but what were the Cape connections in this instance? So the, there's the uh, the Stanford University sailing coach. Mm -hmm. um, he's a Cape Cod Academy grad. Um, he still has family out here, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, his name's John Vandermart. So he, uh, and actually another Cape person, a Hyannisport guy, John Wilson, he was buying spots for his son, on that team to get into the school yeah and again it should be pointed wilson is still allegations because we don't know that he's pleaded yeah we haven't case. seen any evidence of him being in court yet yeah um, um but but uh, vandemore as you mentioned was in court and he pleaded uh guilty to uh was it racketeering conspiracy uh, uh of some sort he pleaded guilty to some charge um uh as did singer 
Um, so Vandemore, John Wilson, who folks may know his home uh, or one of his homes here in Hyannisport. It's a large home down in Hyannisport. It's the one that most people who don't know better think is part of the Kennedy compound. Yeah, when you go by large... on the boat, you can see it right there. Yeah. It's prominent. Um, and it's I've seen people down there. Um, they're always trying to find the Kennedy compound uh, yeah. tourists and stuff. And, and and they think that's part of it. Kennedy compound is right to the side, but it, but it's the one that, uh, again, most people are looking at. So, so obviously somebody with Cape, uh, connections. And then, uh, this other fellow, Gordon Ernst, Gordon Ernst, uh, a famous new England tennis player. He was the coach at Georgetown, uh, was the coach of URI. I think he's maybe on leave at the moment. But he was doing a similar kind of thing, getting people into Georgetown through the side door, side door of, of the tennis team, giving recruitment spots. So, so uh, to put them in perspective, Wilson uh, allegedly was one of these parents who was paying, and I think he he had allegedly put in six hundred thousand dollars thousands of dollars and there were some interesting conversations that you found in the court records kind of the back and forth and he kind of was wondering well is my are they going to have to show up to the team or are they going to have to be on the team and the the uh was it uh vandemore on the other side or singer uh it was a it was a cooperating witness somebody unnamed and who was saying no don't worry about it you just you you do this you pay this amount of money and and uh uh you're good um and then uh, Vandemore, who is kind of more of an intermediary, really, or, or kind of facilitated some of this, right? Vandemore, he was the one that had the spots on the sailing team. On the sailing team, okay. And, and, and Gordon Ernst, who owns a home in Falmouth and used to be the executive director of youth, uh, Vineyard Youth Tennis on over, Island, on, yeah. over on Martha's Vineyard, he was doing a similar kind of thing. He had spots. He had recruitment spots people would pay for to get their kids into the school. And they're, they're looking to seize that Falmouth property from him. The federal prosecutors are looking to seize that Falmouth property from him as well as $2.7 million. Yeah, they, they say that he allegedly took $2.7 million in bribes, All right, um, so. which is quite a sum. <laughs> quite quite a, a, a large amount of money. So this is, again, not, not small amounts. Obviously, this case got a lot of attention, again, nationwide because some of the other names involved um, – uh, but but again, Wilson's Wilson's somebody. He's somebody who was a former Gap executive. He's uh, runs a, um, a a currently runs a firm, uh, consulting financial firm of some sort. And and so again, these are people obviously with some means. And I think that's one of the reasons this story got traction was because people look at it and say, you know, they're basically cheating the system. And there may be some people out there who. Uh, deserve to get in who did not get in because of well, these. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's positions. always been the thought that wealthy people can get their way. Yep. And there was these kind of accepted means to do it, buying libraries and paying for all this stuff. And now there's just literally a, just a direct pipeline yeah. to just pay your kids' way. It really is interesting how this case has played out. So uh, certainly we will be following along uh, in federal court uh, as, as these cases are decided. Um, uh, just quickly looking ahead, we have a story coming from uh, reporter Christine Legere about an 83-year-old Marine um, out of uh, Yarmouth. And again, there's a lot of a Marine veteran. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Marine veterans here on the Cape. Um, but in, in this particular case, she's a female Marine veteran, and there aren't very many of those on the Cape. Um, obviously, the, the military has gone through some changes in the last several years in terms of combat uh, use of, of uh, female, uh, um, basically, female military personnel um but she was she signed on back way back in the the day and it was even more unusual then so 
uh, look forward to that story in the next couple of days. Um, thanks again for joining us. As a reminder, again, if Facebook's not working for some reason, and hopefully it is because that's what we're on right now, um, feel free to go to our website, capecuttimes.com. Tell your friend, share the link. Feel free to reach out to us, to Ethan, with any story ideas. All our emails are available at capecuttimes.com, where we're news starts on Cape Cod. Thanks, Ethan. Appreciate you being here. Uh, until next week, have a good morning and good luck.